at 1500 and 2000 UT. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is Sunny Side of Sports. Right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the December 14th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Argentina will play either Morocco or defending champion France in Sunday's FIFA World Cup football final in Qatar. Led by superstar Lionel Messi, Argentina scored a 3-0 victory over Croatia Tuesday in the first semifinal. Now it's being described as perhaps the best performance of Messi's record-tying 25 appearances at the World Cup. He opened the scoring in the 34th minute on a penalty kick. It was Messi's fifth goal at this World Cup, tying him with France's Kylian Mbappe as the tournament's top goal scorer. And Messi is now Argentina's record scorer at World Cups with 11 goals in total, one more than the now-retired Gabriel Batistuta. The 35-year-old Messi also played a part in Argentina's two other goals by Julian Alvarez. His assist in the 69th minute was another marvelous moment of Messi magic. Messi made a swivel and driving run, leaving Croatian defender Josko Gavardial grasping at air before tapping the ball to Alvarez for the score. Speaking after the match, Argentina's head coach, Lionel Scaloni, said this about Messi, and I quote, I am honored to train him and see him play. Every time you see him play, it's a huge source of motivation for his teammates, fans, and the whole world. Meanwhile, in Qatar's capital, Doha, these Argentina fans chanted Messi's name after the team's victory in the semifinals. Lionel Messi said Argentina's stunning 2-1 loss to Saudi Arabia in its opening World Cup match in Qatar helped the team reach the final. Messi said, and I quote, I would say that the first match was a hard blow for all of us because we had been unbeaten in 36 matches. It was an acid test for this whole squad, but this squad proved how strong we are. We won the other matches, and I hope it will be this way for the final. It is the biggest sports event of the year. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Join VOA to celebrate Africa's king sport. In-depth coverage, pre- and post-game analysis, breakout stars... 
Cinderella teams, coaches, players, and let's not forget the fans from the four corners of the continent and from the city of Doha. We'll be there throughout the competition. Don't miss the fun with Team VOA Africa. Let's experience the magic of football together. The magic of World Cup football will be experienced again on Wednesday evening when the Atlas Lions of Morocco hope to continue their magical run at the World Cup when they play defending champion France. What are your expectations for the Morocco-France semifinal? That's the question Iron Mike Mbonier posed to the chief football writer at ACLsports.com, Fisayo Dairo. I expect another good game of football when France and Morocco come toe-to-toe at the Albaite Stadium in Alcor here in Qatar on Wednesday night. It's going to be a historic game with lots of records and greatness on ground to achieve by either side. France will be bidding to become first nation to play in consecutive World Cup finals ever since Brazil played in three back-to-back from 1994 to 2002. Well, for the Moroccans, we know they've surpassed expectations already. They've, they've become the first African team to reach this stage and they will surely be aspiring to take it a notch higher with a win against the Europeans. So definitely, I expect... A competitive game. I expect a passionate one. Um, I do hope we do not have controversies like we saw in some games in the quarterfinal. But we expect the best of football in art history. Majority of the Moroccan players ply their trade in Europe. That's up to 90% of them. The entire France, French squad also have their squad based in Europe. So it could be uh, coming together of two sets of players playing in Europe but with different ideologies because the Moroccans will be hoisting the flag of Africa and the Arab world right there in front of uh, over 50,000 fans. It is definitely going to be a difficult game for Morocco. Yes, all their games here in Qatar have been difficult and they've managed to come out on scathe on each occasion. Yeah, they've played four top European countries from Croatia to Belgium to Spain to Portugal and now here comes France, another giant. But they definitely know that the higher they go, the tougher the battle becomes. And so I won't bet against them doing the business again at the Albaite Stadium. Yes, injuries are now setting, the stakes are now higher because every opposition now know them and know what they are capable of. But you can't, you can't bet against them doing it once again. I think that they have all it takes to continue their amazing run. They've only considered one goal in all their matches, which is a very good factor to leverage on. If you don't consider a goal in a football game, then you have a good chance of winning it. So, if they've stopped the biggest stars of this world, the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, the likes of Baru Morata, to Kevin De Bruyne, and, and even the Croats from scoring, then they can do so for the likes of Olivier Giroud and Kylian Mbappe of France. I am totally backing them to go all the way. Uh, but even if they don't, they will surely be proud of what they have done so far. That's Fisayo Dairo, the chief football writer at ACLsports.com.
And Fisayo spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Doha, Qatar. Sporty greetings. This is Fisayo Dairu, chief football writer at ACLSports.com. And you are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Fisayo talked about injuries setting in on the Moroccan team. The squad's captain, defender Romain Sace, left the pitch in tears after being stretchered off in the quarterfinal victory over Portugal. Morocco's head coach, Walid Regvergi, was asked after that match whether Sace would be fit for the big semi-final against France. We don't know now. We have Mazraoui, he's sick. Aguerre is injured. Now uh, Sace is injured. Uh, Hakimi, he begins the competition. He, he feel uh, he feel bad, but he fight every every game. He's here. Uh, but uh, what I said, every day you win something and you lose something, someone. But uh, I have 26 players, and if you want to win this competition, you need to 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 believe on everybody. Morocco's head coach Walid Regragui definitely has belief in his goalkeeper. Yassine Bounou. Bounou has been the anchor of a Moroccan defense that's conceded only one goal, an own goal against Canada in five World Cup matches. Bounou spoke in Arabic after the victory over Portugal. <laughs> Honestly, it's really, really hard to find the words to describe this moment, says Bunu. I thank all my teammates for their hard work, the entire team, and also our supporters who had our backs. And this is all I have to say. We will have some rest so we can face what's coming with the same energy. This is all I have to say. Well, Bunu would go on to say that the Moroccan team is changing the mentality of football fans. He says Moroccan players can face anyone in the world, and the generation coming after the Atlas Lions will know now that Moroccan players can create miracles. On the next Straight Talk Africa... Leaders from countries across Africa are convening in Washington this week to take part in the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit, an initiative by the Biden administration to strengthen its relationship with the African continent. Join me, Heidi Adams, and my guests as we discuss and analyze the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Reigning African champion South Africa has been drawn into a very difficult group. Yes, what some are calling a group of death at next year's Women's World Cup football tournament in Australia and New Zealand. The South African squad, nicknamed Banyana Banyana, will play against Sweden, Italy, and up-and-coming Argentina all much higher than the South African women in the current FIFA World Rankings. Darren Taylor has reaction for us now from South Africa's head coach and a top South African football official. If the South Africans are daunted by the challenge that awaits them in July and August next year, they aren't showing it. After the draw, 
Banyana Banyana coach Desiree Ellis described it as reasonable, saying it could have been tougher. These sentiments were echoed by Vice President of the South African Football Association, Natasha Chiklas, during an online conference with journalists. All the teams are very strong. Yes, we do have two European sides. I think Sweden, uh, in my opinion, are stronger than Italy. At the moment, Argentina is number 29 in FIFA range, so, you know, not too bad. Don't forget, with champions of Africa, other countries after the draw, they're talking about South Africa as well. And uh, we are very strong uh, opponent to any other country. Banyana have beaten the best in Africa, but they've never been victorious against the world's truly top teams, although they earned a creditable 0-0 draw against Sweden in 2019. Later that year, Banyana failed to make it out of the group stage at their maiden World Cup held in France. Brazil hammered them in two friendly matches recently, Banyana losing 3-0 and 6-0. Chikla says those results don't worry her. We went to a very deep waters and that was very clever. When I monitor and I look again and again the game, especially the first game, I think the result could have been different. We could have at least scored two goals. Okay. We learned a lot from that. The South African women also recently lost 4-1 to Australia, another of the world's leading sides. Chekla says she and her fellow officials are purposefully pairing Banyana with some of the globe's strongest teams in friendlies to prepare them for the 2023 tournament. She believes the squad's currently missing a few key elements, including greater confidence and superior fitness. We have the skills, we have the knowledge as a team. I think we need to rejuvenate quicker, faster, also to score the opportunities. We must take, uh, you know, our chances and score. We have to play with the best. In the end of the day, we need strong opponents in order for us to fix whatever we need to. We are very strong, but we have to believe. I mean, we are. We are the best in Africa. But also we have to start behaving like this as well. Chikla says she doesn't want to stick her neck out too far by trying to predict Banyana Banyana's performance at the World Cup. But she emphasizes that does not mean she's not optimistic. We do have a, a great opportunity to go further. It's our time now. To make sure of getting out of their group next year, Banyana are probably going to have to beat either Sweden or Italy. And the Argentina game is a must win. It's a long shot. Sweden have pedigree, consistently making quarterfinals and semifinals and being runners-up in 2003. Italy have reached the quarterfinals twice. Africa's other representatives at the tournament are Morocco, Nigeria and Zambia. In the group stage, Morocco have Germany, Colombia and Korea Republic. Nigeria could also struggle to get past the group stage, having drawn Australia, Ireland and Canada. On paper, Zambia appear to have the best chance of making the knockout phase, 
having to contend with Costa Rica, Spain and Japan in Group C. At this stage, according to pundits and the FIFA rankings, favourites to capture the trophy will be multiple world champions, the United States, with England, Sweden, France, Germany and the Netherlands also strong contenders. Bookmakers and experts aren't giving a team from Africa much hope at all. Chigla says she hopes other nations at the World Cup follow their lead because the more under the radar the African teams stay, the greater the possibility of them pulling off major upsets. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Sporty greetings. This is Namsham Pelo, media officer of Banyana Banyana of South Africa. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. September was a sad month for tennis fans. Two of the sport's all-time greats, Roger Federer and Serena Williams, both announced their retirements. Between them, Roger and Serena won 43 Grand Slam singles titles, Roger 20 and Serena 23. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, let's listen to Roger Federer's retirement announcement. To my tennis family and beyond, of all the gifts that tennis has given me over the years, the greatest, without a doubt, has been the people I've met along the way. My friends, my competitors, and most of all, the fans who give the sport its life. Today, I want to share some news with all of you. As many of you know, the past three years have presented me with challenges in the form of injuries and surgeries. I've worked hard to return to full competitive form, but I also know my body's capacities and limits and its message to me lately has been clear. I am 41 years old. I've played more than 1,500 matches over 24 years. Tennis has treated me more generously than I ever would have dreamt and now I must recognize when it is time to end my competitive career. I will play more tennis in the future, of course, but just not in Grand Slams or on the Tour. This is a bittersweet decision because I will miss everything the Tour has given me. But at the same time, there is so much to celebrate. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on Earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis 
And I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. I would like to especially thank my amazing wife, Mirka, who has lived through every minute with me. She has warmed me up before finals, watched countless matches, even while over eight months pregnant and has endured my goofy side on the road with my team for over 20 years. I also want to thank my four wonderful children for supporting me, always eager to explore new places and creating wonderful memories along the way. Seeing my family cheering me on from the stands is a feeling I will cherish forever. I would also like to thank and recognize my loving parents, my dear sister, without whom nothing would be possible. A big thank you to all my former coaches who always guided me in the right direction. You have been wonderful. And to Swiss Tennis, who believed in me as a young player and gave me an ideal start. I really want to thank and acknowledge my amazing team, Ivan, Danny, Roland, and particularly Seve and Pierre, who have given me the best advice and have always been there for me. Also, Tony, for creatively managing my business for over 17 years. You are all incredible, and I've loved every minute with you. I want to thank my loyal sponsors, who are really like partners to me, and the hardworking teams and tournaments on the ATP Tour, who consistently welcomed all of us with kindness and hospitality. I would also like to thank my competitors on the court, I was lucky enough to play so many epic matches that I will never forget. We battled fairly, with passion and intensity, and I always tried my best to respect the history of the game. I feel extremely grateful. We pushed each other, and together we took tennis to new levels. Above all, I must offer a special thank you to my unbelievable fans. You will never know how much strength and belief you have given me. The inspiring feeling of walking into full stadiums and arenas has been one of the huge thrills in my life. Without you, those successes would have felt lonely rather than filled with joy and energy. The last 24 years on tour have been an incredible adventure. While it sometimes feels like it went by in 24 hours, it has also been so deep and magical that it seems as if I've already lived a full lifetime. I've had the immense fortune to play in front of you in over 40 different countries. I have laughed and cried, felt joy and pain, and most of all, I have felt incredibly alive. Through my travels, I've met many wonderful people who will remain friends for life, who consistently took time out of their busy schedules to come and watch me play and cheer me on around the globe. Thank you. When my love of tennis started, I was a ball kid in my hometown of Basel. I used to watch the players with a sense of wonder. They were like giants to me, and I began to dream. My dreams led me to work harder, and I started to believe in myself. Some success brought me confidence, and I was on my way to the most amazing journey that has led to this day. So I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart to everyone around the world who has helped make the dreams of a young Swiss ball kid come true. Finally, to the game of tennis, I love you and will never leave you. Roger Federer won five of his 20 Grand Slam singles titles at the U.S. Open in New York. Not far from that venue are some less glamorous tennis courts where African-American players have developed their skills. Aaron Raynan reports from New York City. For three weeks every summer, the elite tennis world gathers in Flushing, New York for the U.S. Open. A few miles away stand the Lincoln Terrace Park tennis courts, 
where players, most of them African-American, have built their skills in the shadow of one of the sport's four Grand Slam tournaments. Since the 1960s, these 11 courts have offered a sanctuary from racism and an opportunity for African-Americans to build a community of tennis enthusiasts. This is a social community, so we like to talk, and we brought food, and we sit over there on the bleachers, and we socialize, and we play tennis. To me, this is home. Well, I've been coming here for a few years now, and I think I just love the community. I love being able to see people that look like me. Like, representation is great. These players compete on rugged courts with a subway train line that runs right alongside it, challenging the concentration of any competitor. On a recent Saturday afternoon, a dozen people were hitting balls in the hot sun. Before I was born, these courts were here. It's like a stable of the, of, of the neighborhood. And I guess we're that back in the days before my time and when I was younger, this was one of the places that a lot of African-Americans can play and feel safe without being discriminated. It is tennis communities like this that were inspired more than a half century ago by some of the earliest African-American tennis champions, including the 1957 U.S. Open champion, Althea Gibson. Althea and Arthur Ashe. Althea actually first, because she was before Arthur Ashe, and they opened up the tennis world to, to, to let blacks know that this is you can do this. From them came Serena and Venus. And Althea Gibson's success has opened up doors for the Lincoln Terrace Tennis Academy to open up opportunities for African-American youth, but more importantly for them to see this as a possibility for a career path. Many also credit Serena and Venus Williams for keeping the balls bouncing at these courts. I believe, yes, before Serena and Venus, this place existed. It was always great, but with them being in the picture of becoming great tennis players, it also helped this neighborhood and the tennis community. Both her and her sister helped popularize tennis and took it to another level. One wonders if the next African-American tennis superstar may already be practicing here at Lincoln Terrace Park Tennis Courts. Aaron Raynan for VOA News, New York City. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Carol. 
You can also connect with the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. In the tightest National Basketball Association contest Tuesday night, the Boston Celtics prevailed in overtime by four points over the host Los Angeles Lakers. The AP's Mark Myers reports from Los Angeles, California. Jason Tatum scored 44 points and the Celtics beat the Lakers in overtime 122-118. to Tatum and the Celtics rallied from a 13-point deficit in the final four minutes of the fourth quarter. That's a lot of time in basketball. You know, get a good shot, get a steal, um, keep getting stops. Um, the momentum, you could feel it, started to, to come back towards our way. Jalen Brown added 25 points as Boston avoided its first three-game losing streak of the season. L.A. was led by Anthony Davis with 37 points. Mark Myers, Los Angeles. Thanks, Mark. LeBron James scored 33 points and had nine rebounds and nine assists for the Lakers. We gave ourselves a chance to win. We, we didn't close it out. But um loved our effort. I loved our tenacity in the second half. And... Uh, Put ourselves in a position to, to win a ball game and uh, you know, playing as a very good team. LeBron and the Lakers now have 11 wins and 16 losses. The Celtics have the NBA's best record, 22 victories and seven defeats. And that wraps up the December 14th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. I get it. And that's the sunny side of sports.